for those of you who can see, I guess a word of explanation may be in order. Um, you can't beat concrete, it will always beat you. Uh, and uh, I took a tumble and gravity still continues and if you take a tumble you will go down and my advice is don't use your head to uh, uh, fight the concrete. And as much as it may sound strange to you, I actually think it looks a lot better than it did Monday morning. So that's where we are. Uh, this evening, we're going to look again at, uh, at Genesis, and uh, we're going to look first of all at uh, uh, Genesis chapter 29, and we will begin reading there in verse 31 of chapter 29, and we'll read through verse 24 of chapter 30. Genesis chapter 29, beginning at verse 31. Hear now God's word to us this evening. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my afflictions, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore she named, named, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she had... Uh, that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife and Jacob went into her and Bilhah Conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come, and so she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women will call me happy, so she called his name Asher. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then, uh, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. 
so she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May he add another, add to me another son. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to your word this night with anticipation. And we anticipate, O oh Lord, that because it is your word and it is your desire that your people understand and follow that word, that you will work in us by the power of your spirit. And we long for that and we ask that you will open our hearts so that we might receive what it is that you have in your word. And as a result, we might become better servants of yours. And we make our prayer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1971, a television program started in the U.S., and it was titled All in the Family, and it was a comedy that tried to set a new way to view family and family relationships. And the program displayed a lot of antagonism amongst the family members, and this was something new in American television. Up until that time, American families on television were what we might call nice families, uh, always. All in the family included name-calling, snide remarks about different members of the family. And some people thought that it was a great breakthrough for American television. I'll let you decide whether All in the Family really led us forward or backward. Uh, Antagonism and snide remarks uh, within a family, though, were not new. And if you were paying attention as I read uh, this text this evening, uh, you heard some of those uh, and the naming of sons uh, by uh, uh, Leah and Rachel. Uh, So let's uh, look at this family of Jacob, uh, the family that, as I mentioned before, gave us the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Last week, we saw how the less than ideal, I guess I can call it, behavior characterized the establishment of uh, Jacob's family. And uh, we'll see that continuing as we look at things this evening. Uh, In the incident uh, we examine uh, this this evening, uh, we find uh, 11 of the 12 sons of Jacob uh, born in Padanaram. And this takes place probably over a period of time of seven years. I conclude it's seven years because uh, Jacob is now working his second seven years so that he can have Rachel for his wife. He's paying off that, uh, that debt that was foisted upon him as we saw last week. That's how he acquired her. Uh, We also see in this text, to to really get a hold of it, a lot of uh, wordplay, in particular wordplay, with regard to naming uh, the the sons of Jacob. And it's hard for us to to get hold of this, I think, because uh, the meanings of these words aren't exactly the same always, the way in which they're used uh, here. Sometimes it's even, they sound a little bit like a word, and so uh, they go ahead and make some conclusion from it. Uh, Perhaps I can can illustrate uh, something of that. Uh, Say this son is named Abel because his mother has had a number of miscarriages. And with the birth of this son, this is the first time she's been able to carry a child to term. And she wants to remember that. So she calls him Abel. 
Uh, perhaps uh, there's a woman who is an academic, and uh, uh, during the time of her pregnancy, she's the one who submits her dissertation. Uh, she also, during the time of her pregnancy, uh, takes her uh, defense of her dissertation, passes that defense, also makes all the corrections that the defense committee requires of her, and the week before she delivers the baby, uh, she gets her degree. And every time one of these things happen to her, her husband comes in and grabs her and says, you nailed it. And they call the kid Brad because they want to remember that. <laughs> you see? Or perhaps uh, the wife has not been well and she's been bedridden for the whole uh, nine months of her pregnancy and her husband uh, just carries on all the duties. He cares for the other children, he cares for his wife, and she wants to remember that and so she calls the child Carrie. Now those kind of things are a bit of what we're going, we see as we look at this text with all the naming of all of the uh, uh, children, of all the sons here. Uh, it's hard for us to know exactly when all of this begins. Uh, my take is it's shortly after uh, the time of the uh, marriage of, uh, of uh, <clears throat> Jacob and Rachel that finally takes place. Um, uh, because it takes a little bit of time uh, for Leah to recognize that she is pregnant. And it also takes a little bit of time for Rachel to understand that she can't have children. I mean, you don't just wake up one morning and say, I'm barren. It takes takes a little bit of time for that to uh, uh, come about. Uh, the, the narrative also begins with this acknowledgement that Leah uh, was hated. And I assume that hatred is not just pointing at Jacob, but it's also hatred that uh, Rachel shares with Jacob, that hatred directed against uh, Leah. And I think that the hatred that Jacob felt for, uh, uh, both for Leah and for Laban, but in particular for Leah, is because, as I argued last week, Leah had to be a cooperating partner in the deception that uh, uh, Laban foisted upon, upon uh, uh, Jacob in giving him Leah instead of Rachel as his wife. We also see that, that when we look and find that uh, Rachel is barren, we, we ought not to be surprised because this is a pattern that we've seen coming about with all the patriarchs. Now, you may remember back in chapter 11 of Genesis, uh, in the 30th verse there, we are introduced to Sarah and we are introduced with these words. Now, Sarai was barren. She has no child. Uh, likewise, Rebecca is described in chapter 25 and tw verse 21, we read, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. So, so we see this pattern in the patriarchs that Sarah was barren, Rebecca is barren, and now we see that uh, Leah is barren. As we kind of look through these, I'm not going to try to follow the text chronologically as we go. I think it's easier for us to get hold of things if we look at Leah first, and then we look at Rachel, and then we look at the way in which uh, God is active in this. Uh, because it seems to me if all this is going to happen in seven years, that the things aren't sequential. If you do a little bit of math and you put everything together with all the nine months that are coming out, you can't get it all done in seven years. So there's, there's some interaction back and forth. So instead of trying to follow the text through uh, as it unfolds, let's, let's try to look at it in terms of, uh, um, of the, each of the individual 
was there. Uh, Leah is the mother of the firstborn of the uh, sons of Jacob. And when he is uh, born, Leah gives him the name Reuben. And this name probably existed. Another people probably already had it. Uh, and the name basically means, look, a son. And Leah claims uh, Yahweh saw her affliction and uh, he provided a son for her. So she names the boy as a reflection of her status in the household. She sees herself as afflicted. And if you're in a household where you're hated, I suspect it doesn't hard for you to think of yourself as, as, as afflicted. I could see how that's there. But she also attributes uh, the birth of the son to, to Yahweh and his response to her affliction. And even though she seems to have these God-centered ideas, fundamentally, what she wants to occur with the birth of Reuben is that her husband will love her. You see, he hates her, and she wants that to change. She wants Jacob to love her. Uh, one thing we know that did not happen with the birth of Reuben is Jacob did not start loving uh, Leah at all. His hatred for her uh, continued. And, uh, uh, she cl and when uh, her second uh, child is born, uh, uh, she claims that uh, God heard, Yahweh heard that she was still hated. And so she calls him Simeon. And the word Simeon has some similarities to the Hebrew word for, for hear. And so she says that God was listening. And my take is that she prayed to Yahweh, asking that her state of uh, being hated uh, would be changed from being hated to being cherished. Uh, Leah attributes the birth of Simeon uh, to her prayers to God for both relief and I assume that she anticipates, well, with a second son, surely now my husband will begin to love me. Uh, when we come to with two births, and we know now that uh, that did not change Jacob's attitude toward her, now she hopes that her third son will make some difference in her relationship with her husband. And uh, the name Levi sounds a bit like uh, the Hebrew word for attached. And uh, Leah is still hoping that by bearing Jacob a son, uh, that, uh, uh, that this will alleviate the separation that she felt from her husband. And she wanted him to love, him, love her, and she wanted him to show evidence that he was attached to her because of affection, not because of the legal nonsense that had been put upon uh, Jacob by, by uh, her father. Father Laban and by, by Leah herself. Uh, the, the naming of Judah, though, is, is different from the naming of the other three sons. Uh, there's uh, no word about Jacob, her husband, uh, or about her sister, her rival, Rachel. And, and the name uh, Judah means uh, praise the Lord, and that's the reason that Leah gives it to, to Judah. And, and with the birth of Judah as her, her fourth son, we're told that she ceased bearing. The text doesn't tell us why she ceased bearing. And there are some that suggest maybe some kind of a medical problem. Uh, I'm skeptical about that because as we look at the way in which the text unfolds, my judgment is that Rachel has now come to, to uh, control, if you will, who sleeps with Jacob. 
as we'll see with the Mandrake incident, she has that kind of power. And so after Leah has borne uh, four sons to Jacob and Rachel has borne none, uh, Jacob, uh, Rachel, I think, has probably locked uh, the bedroom door as far as Rachel. And I think we see in this, if, if that's, uh, that assumption is true, we see the kind of, of, of terrible things that are going on in this family. I think that's what comes out to us. Now, Let's follow along with looking at Leah. Uh, Leah sees that she can't, uh, she ceased to bear children. And she also notices that, that Rachel has given her, her uh, maidservant to Jacob. She's given Bilhah to Jacob. We'll come back and look at Bilhah and the naming of her sons. Uh, but uh, what Leah does then, because she is no longer able to bear children, uh, she gives to Jacob her, her maidservant, Zilpah. And she, uh, 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 and the first child that uh, uh, Zilpah bears for uh, Jacob, uh, Leah claims the child as her own, and she names him Gad, for she judged that good fortune had come to her. She couldn't bear children of her own, but she could have them uh, through her handmaid. And Zilpah bore a second child on the behalf of Leah, and Leah named him Asher. And uh, she claimed that she was happy because of the accolades that she would receive for other, from other women who were around at Paddan Aram. So we see that. We also see the text telling us about uh, her oldest son, Reuben, uh, going out and picking some flowers. My take is Reuben is probably under five years old. Uh, he's, he's you know a little bit beyond the toddler, but not far beyond that. And Reuben goes out and he picks some flowers uh, for his mother. Now he brings these flowers and gives them to his mother. And when Rachel sees that Leah has these flowers, she wants these flowers. Now, if you're like I am, your first thought is, you know, a little boy going out and picking up some uh, daisies or maybe even dandelions. And, you know, they're all different lengths and one's falling over. That's the kind of uh, way in which I envision these kind of things. But the, the trick is we have to understand the mandrake. Uh, in the ancient world, the mandrake had two different ways of looking at it. Some people thought that the mandrake uh, was an aphrodisiac. Other people thought that the mandrake was a fertility flower, and so if you had mandrakes, then you would be fertile. As a matter of fact, the Greeks called them uh, uh, you know, love, love flowers. That's, that was what they talked about them. And uh, it seems to me that, that Rachel wants these mandrakes because she wants them for their fertility, so that they will help her to overcome her problem of being barren. And so she asks uh, Leah if she can have these uh, uh, mandrakes, and Leah responds to her saying, you want to take my son's flowers as well as I've already taken my husband from me, that basically is what she says. And then the, the, the terrible parts of this story continue to unfold. Uh, Rachel wants these, these uh, fertility flowers, if you will, so much that she says, Leah, I'll make a deal with you. You can sleep with Jacob tonight if you'll give me those flowers. And so Leah takes the deal. And then she meets Jacob when he's coming in from the field. And she says, hey, you sleep with me tonight because I bought you for the night with some flowers. And all that I have in my mind are those straggly dandelions. You know, that's, the, that's, that, that's this family. <laughs> you know, it just boggles the mind. What do you think of Leah? What do you think of Rachel? What do you think of Jacob? Not 
very much is my suspicion. But anyhow, uh, Leah sleeps uh, with, uh, with uh, Jacob and uh, 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 as a result of this, uh, Leah bears a child and uh, uh, she calls his name Issachar and that, and that uh, name uh, sounds something like the Hebrew word for wages. And note why she gets her wages paid. Because she gave her maidservant Zilpah to Jacob, and therefore she bore a son through her maidservant. Now Leah bears her sixth son and last son, and she names him Zebulun. And again, this has the idea of honor uh, close to it. And uh, uh, what she sought from, from the birth of Zebulun was the very same thing that she sought with the birth of Reuben. When Reuben is born, what does she want? Now my husband will love me. When uh, Zebulun, her sixth son, is born, what does she want? Now my husband will honor me. And there is no evidence in the text whatsoever that Jacob ever changed his mind about Leah. That it starts off by telling us that he hated her, and there's nothing that tells us that that hatred started. Stop. Now, while all this is going on with Leah, there are also, at the same time, some things going on with Rachel. And Rachel sees Leah bearing children. And in the ancient world, bearing children was even more important than it is in a contemporary world. Uh, it, it is to not bear children is both a personal and a, a social calamity in the, uh, in the ancient world. It's so very important. And, and when we see the, the pathos in this of Rachel, because she confronts Jacob, telling him, give her children. And, and she says to him, if I don't have children, I'm going to die. It's, it's that terrible. Death is, 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 is something that one would opt for if one can't have children in that ancient context there. And, and Jacob's uh, response is probably, theo it, not probably, it clearly is theologically correct. But you have to wonder, where is this love that uh, Jacob is uh, over and over again having been said about him that he had love for Rachel? You know, he's angry with her. And he says, what do you mean, woman? Do you want me in the place of God? It's God who opens and God who closes the womb. I can't do that. That's, that's his response to her. Uh, he's angry. He's upset with her. And again, just, just look at the nature and the character of this family. Well, Jacob's rebuff leads uh, Rachel then to uh, offer her her maidservant. I think she does this, uh, uh, pretty clear from the text, she does this before um, Leah offers Zilpah. But she offers uh, Bilhah uh, to uh, Jacob uh, that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. Now, when this happens, I think we shouldn't be shocked because we know that this has happened before. Uh, you may remember the story of, uh, of Sarah, and Sarah was barren, and Sarah couldn't have children. What did she do? She said, here, take my servant Hagar. And if you remember that Bible story, you remember how it turned out. Disaster. <laughs> Hagar and Ishmael are banished from the family uh, by, uh, uh, by Abraham. So we see this. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, uh, Rachel gives uh, Bilhah to, to uh, Jacob to sleep with her. And uh, in the case of uh, uh, the, this case, there are two sons born. Uh, the first is named Dan, and Rachel gives him the name, not Bilhah. And Rachel relates that God has judged me and given me a son. 
some suggest, and I'm uh, in accord with them, that better than saying, judge me, he's vindicated me. Uh, that God, because he gave, me, gave uh, Bilhah this child, uh, that has vindicated me doing this. Uh, that's the way in which he looks at things. Another son is born to Bilhah, uh, and he was named by Rachel and uh, Naphtali. Uh, uh, sounds a bit like the word wrestle. And again, look at what's going on here. Uh, Rachel contends that the birth of this surrogate son showed that she has prevailed against her sister. So that rivalry that's going on between them is there. A little over six years uh, have passed uh, from the time when Jacob and uh, uh, Rachel were brought together, and uh, then she finally conceives a child. And when that child is born, uh, Rachel uh, names the child uh, Joseph. And this word Joseph has kind of a twofold foci, if you will, in, in looking at it. Uh, one focus is that uh, the Hebrew word can, can, can refer to take away. Uh, and her point it was that the reproach that she carried because she was unable to bear children has now been taken away. So Joseph is the name that she gives to this son that she gives birth to. But Joseph can also sound like the word for may he add. And so she wants, uh, this is a plea as well, that God would uh, give to her and Jacob another son. And as a matter of fact, he does, and we'll see later on uh, that uh, Benjamin is born. Uh, when Joseph is born, Rachel acknowledges uh, that Yahweh is the one who favored her, and she says that it was God who took away her reproach, and she hopes that Yahweh will be the one who give her another son. Um, the text reinforces uh, uh, Rachel's testimony by telling us that it was God who remembered her and he listened to her. I think this tells us that Rachel, through all this time, has been praying. Now, through all these familial shenanigans, all these things that are going on, God is there and Yahweh is at work in this family. You remember back in chapter 28 and verse 14 that, that Yahweh had promised Jacob that he would have offspring like the dust of the earth. And this is the same promise, a similar promise that was made to Abraham, and a similar promise was also made to Isaac. And in the text, we see Yahweh at work, uh, bringing about the promises that he had given uh, to Jacob. Uh, the nation God intended to use to further his purposes is now started, and the 12 tribes of Israel now have their genesis in the 12 sons uh, that will uh, come about. One of them will be born later. And so they become the 12 tribes of, uh, of Israel. Uh, this uh, promise that was made, uh, as I said before, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And, and today, uh, we celebrate uh, the victory, the final part of that other part of the promise that in the offspring of Abraham, in the offspring of, of Isaac, in the offspring of Jacob, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And it is in that distant offspring, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that that blessing comes. And we remember that when Jesus uh, is raised again from the dead. It's something that we celebrate. And uh, as, we, as we look at what transpires in this family of Jacob, uh, uh, there, there are some things I think we need to pay attention to. With all the things that are going on in this text, one of the things that seems to jump out at us is that they all are ready to acknowledge that God is at work, that Yahweh is the one who is giving them children. 
no matter what else is going on, this is, this is what happens. We, we see these comments, uh, particularly with Leah. She says this in, in chapter 29, verses 32, 33, 35. Then in chapter 30, she says it again in verse 17, and verse 20. Rachel makes the same profession uh, in chapter 30, verses 6, 23, and 24. Uh, we see Jacob making the same point when, when he gets angry with uh, Rachel and he says, uh, it's God who gives children. He's the one who opens the womb and he's the one who closes the womb. I can't do that. That's only something that God uh, can do. That's what he says. And in the midst of all of this uh, recognition of, of Yahweh's role in, in bringing children in fulfilling his uh, promises, uh, we also see... Uh, uh, Strange things, you know, the sons come across as kind of pawns in the ongoing clash between these uh, sister wives, if you will. And uh, we see the sons as pawns, if you will, in Leah's quest to have Jacob uh, love her. Uh, one part of this desire is that, that Leah does all kinds of things to try to make sure that she acquires the love of uh, Jacob. And my take, as I said before, was that doesn't change, that Jacob has never had affection for Leah. And so from the first to the last child, uh, this is what uh, Leah is struggling for. Uh, we also see the struggle when uh, Rachel names Naphtali. Uh, you know, the name of that child says, I'm vindicated, you know, I'm beating my sister, you know, I'm, 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 uh, I, I have a surrogate wife and now, uh, I, I've given a surrogate wife and now I'm, I'm winning, uh, I have a victory through it. Uh, as we look at this text, uh, one of the things that jumps out at me is, if you ever wondered why God opposed polygamy and bigamy, here are the reasons why. I mean, it's just very clear uh, that, that what goes on here is just terrible. Um, uh, Jacob finds that he can't or he won't love the wife that was foisted on him. Uh, we find that these servants are treated as no more than uh, convenient uh, wombs, if you will, in uh, this uh, uh, rival, sibling rivalry that's going on. Jacob's family and his wives in particular uh, demonstrate the power of sin. I mean, look at all that's going on in this, in this text. There's hatred, there's jealousy, there's rank manipulation of one another. And yet the thing that we can't miss is that God is at work in all of this, that God is there. God continues to work on his plans in the midst of these, these families. And not only does he do it in that ancient family, but God continues to do his work in the midst of contemporary families, contemporary families that also are filled with, with sin. He does that in individuals, he does that in families, he does that in churches. He uses sinful people to bring about his purposes. Uh, uh, you know, you probably know of somebody who is married and he doesn't love his wife. Uh, you've probably come across that in your experience at some time. He doesn't love his wife. And, and what do we say to that? Well, I know what God would say. I know what God would say to Jacob, and I know what he would say to somebody that's contemporary. It's not a choice that you make. You're married, and the scriptures, Ephesians, 5's in, Ephesians 5 in particular says, you must love your wife. Husbands, love your wives. Not love them if you uh, have, have the inclination to do so. Love them because that's what you're supposed to do. That's what God demands of you. Uh, we may know of families uh, where the husband is 
envious, say, of his brother because his wife uh, uh, shows her respect and her love to him in all sorts of ways. And so he's envious and jealous of his brother. Uh, you may know mothers who do all sorts of things with their children and they, they, they carry on all kinds of things with their children and they don't do it for their children's sake. They want everybody to know there's a super mom. You probably know of people like that. You probably come across them. My point is that sin prevails in, in families. It prevails in other people's families, but it also prevails in our families. I think we have to recognize that. And the fact of sin in our families sometimes parallels some of the things that we see in Jacob's family. Yet the thing I want you to get hold of, God doesn't abandon Yahweh doesn't forget us. He doesn't turn away from us. As a matter of fact, just as Yahweh used the family of Jacob, he also can use and benefit our families as well. That promise that I talked to you about before, that in, the offspring, uh, shall, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And we know about that. We understand that yeah, in the midst of this sinful family, that that fourth son that was born to Leah was Judah. And we know that Judah became the father of the tribe of Judah. And we know that from the tribe of Judah came the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll see as we go through the rest of Genesis that the sins of the tribe of Judah and, and Judah himself are just sometimes overwhelming. But out of that sinful man, out of that sinful family, God brings his a son, a Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ himself takes away the sin of Jacob's family, takes away the sin of his father, a Judah, and he takes away the sin of all those families and all those people in the families who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Family sin, but there is a remedy for that sin, and the remedy comes through the family of Jacob, a family riddled with sin. And anybody who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ has those sins taken away. But today we celebrate the triumph of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say a lot of the same things you heard this morning, and I'm not apologizing for that because it's good for us always to hear these things. That when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, it was like the Father in heaven declared with as loud a voice as he can, could, the death of my son has been accepted by me. When he died, he took in his body the punishment that all of you deserve. That's what God was doing. That was what God was declaring when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He was giving to us his assurance, his guarantee that Jesus took away the sins of his people. And I can stand here today on this Easter and I can say to you, to you and to your families, to you and to your families where there is sin present, that if you trust what Jesus Christ did upon the cross, if you will say to that Christ, when you were dying upon that cross, I trust that you were dying there to take away my sins because you had none of your own, you were perfect. If you trust that, if that's your Easter faith, if you will, then your sins are forgiven. They're taken away. And I invite you to, to help me to conclude this sermon tonight. There's an old Christian greeting that went on at, at Easter time. 
And uh, uh, the, the greeting went something like, uh, Christ the Lord is risen today. And the response was, he is risen indeed. And I'm going to ask you to respond, not just as that as a greeting, but as a commitment, as a kind of confident assurance that when I tell you that Christ the Lord is risen today, that you can respond, he's risen indeed. He's risen indeed. And when he was raised from the dead, God shouted out to me, your sins are taken away. You are forgiven. That's God's word to you this Easter. And so let's try it. Christ the Lord is risen today. He is risen indeed. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that Jesus is living. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for your sacrifice on our behalf, bearing in your body the punishment that we deserved. And we thank you, Sovereign Spirit, for your work in our hearts. Sinful as we are, you have shown us that. You have planted in us faith, and we are thankful that we can exercise that faith this night. And we pray now, our Father in heaven, that we who have been freed from sin may go and live as if we have been freed for sin. And we ask this for your honor, O Lord Jesus. And we say together, amen.